yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Well, what an autumn series that was for Ireland. Three victories out of three games. Handsome wins over Japan, New Zealand and Argentina. Sets Ireland up perfectly for a tilt at the Six Nations title next year. Luke, how impressed were you with the November Ireland just had? Yeah, extremely impressed, Will. Um, You know, I've been reasonably critical on on a number of aspects of the Irish game since the coaches took over. Um, And I just think they answered them all. All the criticisms. I mean, the the, the ball play, the interplay amongst the forwards, uh, you know, the pace of play in the game, um, you know, really played into our strengths. I thought they were way more, um, is it aggressive? Progressive is probably the better word in terms of some of their selections. Uh, you know, they picked guys in for, you know, who are, who are in form. They picked some of the younger guys in kind of key positions. Um, and uh, I thought the defence was an awful lot better, Will. I was really impressed with that, particularly against New Zealand. Uh, who are very, very difficult to contain, even if they're not, uh, you know, uh, playing at their best. So I thought it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, I'm really excited going into Six Nations, and I think the squad should be too. And, um, yeah, really, really successful little little period for them. And good to hear as well that they really enjoyed it. I mean, that that I thought that interview with uh, Peter Omani was very telling, you know. If people are enjoying being in there, I think that's a really good thing, uh, particularly when things are going well, of course. You don't want them taking the piss but <laughs> no they yeah. were, that, that was great to hear Will I thought yeah because a lot a lot of the players to be fair have said it and like you know it, it has been said a lot that it's a, a more looser atmosphere than what it was like under Joe Schmidt in terms of I don't know like you'd obviously better place to maybe describe what it was like under Joe but like was it was it really as kind of unfun it. as it's made I, out to be I loved it like sorry look it's definitely like he, he's watching everything you know like it's a bit of a it's a bit like like Solskjaer United. Like he was everyone's friend. Like you don't need that. You need a great coach. Like Andy Farrell's a great coach, and look, he's probably more relaxed, and that's good. That's great. The guys are enjoying it. Joe Schmidt was an unbelievable coach, so I I love being in there. You're always learning something from 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 people like that. Yeah, it was a bit. You know, he, he he's he's probably he's not the same personality as Andy Farrell, but I love my time in there. You know, I think. Um, you know, probably a bad World Cup is how they finished up on that. And that was all, the long camp. But like Joe was intense for a long camp. I will say that. Uh, like well, he, he doesn't yeah, really have an off switch, you know. But yeah, um, it's, I it's, think he was very, like people, when things were going well there, that was a great place to be as well. No, and it's funny, like, because like kind of the, the, the ending of that, like now when like things happen, like when Ireland beat the All Blacks there two weeks ago and the way they played, it was like almost an indirect shot at how they won against the All Blacks in 2018 in some ways, when, when the way it was being talked about. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It was, it was. Oh, well, they won against the All Blacks. But look at how they played compared to the last time. Hey, listen, it's for, it, the, the hardest thing to do is to get the first one. And he got two of them. Like, you know, that that's no mean feat. Um. Uh, and I'm not sure that, and he should have got that one in 2013 as well. Like that, we we absolutely threw that away uh, in that 2013 game. Um, I mean, some of the errors at the end of the game, like proper brain fart stuff. So um, that's not the coach's fault. He nearly orchestrated it, and that was an unbelievable New Zealand team, a way better New Zealand team than than the one of the weekend. 
uh, you know, the likes of McCall in there. Like they did, they had no one of that ilk in that team on the weekend, bar maybe Bodie Barrett, who went off pretty quick though. Um, and no Aaron Smith, you know, so they were missing a few of their big dogs too. Um, and so I'd be careful about writing off that Joe Schmidt here. Like I, I saw a lot of that, you know, when Ireland were playing their best rugby, I thought in, I'm going to say, was it 18, 17, 18, that kind of period, they, you know, obviously mistimed it for World Cup, but they were playing kind of a similar enough, in some respects, similar brand um, amongst the forwards. The interplay amongst the forwards was outstanding during that little period. And I thought that was one of the things that was most impressive over this little period. They're used, like, they have guys there who can play make, who shouldn't be afraid to make decisions under pressure and be able to catch and pass. And they set up so much good opportunities for themselves in the tight exchanges, but also for the backs. Uh, you know, people like forwards running good lines and they must be so tired in their will, all the hard work they were doing. I, I just thought they were so impressive as a unit o- over the whole thing. And, and, and there was hallmarks, there was learnings there from the Joe Schmidt era. I would be cautious about writing that that period off um, because it didn't finish well. He was he was pretty outstanding. And I'm sure if you asked Andy Farrell, you know, whatever about the different personalities, um, you know, that guy, he would have learned loads being even close to Joe Schmitz. And I'm sure there's lots of things that, yes, the, 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 some of the atmosphere in the camp might have changed. But certainly the learnings, you'd be crazy not to take, you know, learnings from him. He was brilliant. So I, I, I saw a bit of that rhetoric out there, Will, and I'm not sure that's right. Um, or correct, you know. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you as well. Uh, it's an interesting talking point, and certainly, as you mentioned, it, it, it was it was stark. How you know Peter Manny says it was the most enjoyable month of his career. It's pretty enjoyable watching on for us as well, and to look back over the last month of rugby, uh, what a month it was. We have one of the guys who's been on the show a good bit over the years, but hasn't been on in a in a little bit. That's Ian Maligan. Ian, how are you? Very good. Thanks, a million for having me on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, no, great to have you back on. It's been a while, and it's been a really interesting month as well, hasn't it, for Irish rugby? Three wins out of three. I know Ireland have done it before, but there was something awfully impressive about that that November series. You know, what stood out to you over the last couple of weeks, Ian, when you were watching them? Yeah, it's been very impressive. I think, you know, it's one thing getting wins, but it's the the manner in which we got them. And, like, traditionally, we go very well throughout November, and I think we're there's almost an expectation now when we're playing in the Aviva that we're going to win. Um, but I was actually down for the Japan game and I was really, really impressed with, you know, just how we were moving the point of contact and creating opportunities and getting the right guy on the ball in certain times. So whether you needed to go through a team, it was going to one of our power ball carriers. If we had them short on the edge, it was going to our fast guys. And we just got that right. And now, look, I know that the Japanese didn't have a particularly strong team out if you compare it to what came up against us in the World Cup. But it was just the manner of the performance. It allowed us to really build on it and, and go into the New Zealand game with a huge amount of confidence in what we were doing. Um, and then, you know, we saw that performance backed up against, you know, a far higher quality of opposition. And ultimately, we, we kind of blew them away, really. Yeah, Luke, and obviously going into the Argentina game as well, especially when Andy Farrell picked such a strong team, especially in the pack. I know there was obviously a couple of late changes with, with, with trials that maybe brought in a couple of new faces or, or, or fresher faces. But it was a very impressive display again. I know they conceded that early try, but then they really put Argentina to the sword. Were you impressed that they were able to back that up and, and maintain that high level of consistency they've shown over the last couple of games? Yeah, look, I was really impressed uh, with the performance across the board. No backs on the scoreboard, which is a bit, which is actually kind of unusual because they did play, um, you know, a very good brand. And they, and they, um, you know, it was kind of, like they were, I felt like there was ball and play for long periods during it. You know, I thought they kind of wore them down. I thought it looked like similar to the week before. I do think the Southern Hemisphere teams, not to give them an excuse, they did look a little bit tired, you know, like once it got very physical and it was in play for a long period of time, the Irish forwards moved the point of contact really nicely, but they were also, they carried hard. I mean, um, I thought they looked worn out by the end, but they were happy to, to, to just, I think, get off the pitch. A little bit similar to New Zealand, I thought. And even in the French match, which I know we're going to discuss as well, um, yeah, it was really, really impressive. To be able to do that to a team, an international team, who've been together for a long time, even though they're tired, is still pretty impressive, I think. So uh, I think there's loads of positives going into the Six Nations. I think there's lots of teams playing well in that as well. Um, and that might be, you know, that'll be a real test for us. Those two away fixtures, I know it's probably been in conversation a little bit this week, but um, what I really like to see is us kind of implementing that same game plan against those teams as well. In traditionally probably a tighter competition, you know, maybe a tighter style of rugby. Um, versus a more open style when you're playing the Southern Hemisphere team. So 
Uh, loads to build on. A lot of young guys playing well. Uh, looked like there was a few people emerging in positions where we weren't sure whether we had any depth um, and, and how they'd fare there. So, yeah, really, really positive, Will. Yeah, and just one thing that Luke mentioned there that has been tr- kind of thrown around, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it, just as, as November as a whole, was the idea that the Southern Hemisphere teams were, you know, a bit fatigued or, you know, between the bubbles and, you know, being away from home for so long and being at the end of their season, that that was the reason perhaps why, you know, New Zealand were looking a little leggy at times against Ireland or, or why maybe Australia petered out a little bit. Do you, do, do you subscribe to that or do you think that's giving them a bit of an excuse? No, I actually would subscribe to that because I think if you look at the schedule they had, the rugby championship this year was, you know, was dragged out. There was far more travel. Um, you know, the players were away from their families for much longer periods of time because they were based in Australia. Um, you know, if you look at South Africa on their own, like they've come off a, a crazy long stretch of games where they the Lions series, the rugby championship, and now they've toured. Um so, and like, you look at New Zealand, like I only found out there that like they have to go back and quarantine back in two New weeks. Yeah, I know. What a like, killer. That hangs <laughs> over you, Luki. Like, you, you know, yeah. like if you've got one last game, one big push, you can go to the well and you're like, right, I'm off my holidays now for a few weeks, but you're going back to, to do two weeks or whatever it is in quarantine. That's going to hang over you and it, it can actually take from the excitement of your final game. Um, so no, I would, I would buy into it. I think, you know, the, the other team that was going really well into, into the, the November series was Australia and, and them losing some of their key players really affected them. Um, like Quay Cooper was a, a key guy for them. He was making them tick and he had to go back to Japan because of his playing contract there. And they just struggled to get that flow that they had at the end of the rugby championship back again. And, you know, they lost, lost two games, you know, one against Wales and um, one against England that they definitely could have won if they, they went into those with, you know, their best guys playing. And um, you might think that like bringing the, the European players that they have in would nullify that, but it's it's not as easy in international rugby to have just drag guys in and trying to get them up to speed on, on you know, all the, the patterns of play and, and, and whatnot particularly when you're that long in camp together, not to harp on on the point, but when you're that long in camp together, it's almost similar enough to like a, a club team. Yeah. And it is actually, the game plan does get a bit more nuanced because you're you're together longer, you kind of get more familiar, whereas oftentimes for international competitions, you're kind of thrown together fairly quickly. Uh, you know, particularly for the first two matches, I'm thinking of the Six Nations. Um, you know, it's very tricky to, to kind of gel in there. And look, I think the only time you're really together, just to kind of, I suppose parallel it somewhat is probably your World Cup campaigns. But like if you're if you're spending that long, if you're spending 12 or 14 weeks away from your kind of family um, in a bubble type environment, um, you know, you might you probably go into a World Cup final if, if it's that long during that break. Yeah. So like that's pretty easy to get up for it, if, if you know what I mean. So uh, look, I do think it was tricky. I feel bad for Foster because it looks like he's has to defend himself fairly vigorously uh, in New Zealand. I mean, losing two test matches in a row there is, you know, sacrilege. So, um, we'll hopefully he survives it because, you know, I think uh, before these last two games, it was looking like a pretty great season for them. Um, mm. You know, just the one loss. So, um, yeah, look, to, back to more kind of, I suppose, important stuff. You know, the, the Irish team were brilliant during it and so were the, the Northern Hemisphere teams generally and played very, very well, looked very fresh, um, particularly with yeah, every Cup just, rugby just, will. Just to come in on the Northern Hemisphere point, because you know a lot of people have been kind of talking about it after the weekend. I think it's the first time New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia have been beaten by Northern Hemisphere teams in the same day since like 2002 or something like that. Is there is that just a freak occurrence, or did you see Northern Hemisphere teams playing better rugby, you know, more expansive rugby, or you know, they played are, are very we... well. Will I think there's a few things that you'd like. You know, England are probably, you know. Weirdly enough, at this stage in the World Cup cycle, having started off so well, they're at a bit of a crossroads. They're kind of introducing lots of new bodies in at this stage, I think. And Eddie Jones' tenure there doesn't look as solid as it had previously, uh, which is kind of unusual. And I think they got a bit of a bump off that, actually. I thought they, they looked pretty good uh, and, and high energy. I know it took, you know, to the very end against the box to win, but, you know, they're pretty turgid affairs anyway against them. I don't think there's any getting away from that. And to get a win against them is, I mean, they're all about the result, clearly. So I think that was a great result. Um, but I think the other fixtures were, were, were really, I mean, the, the performances from the Northern Hemisphere teams were excellent. And they seem to be peaking. 
challenge now for everyone is are they peaking too early? Um, you know, I think France in particular, um, I think we thought that they'd be further ahead in last year's Six Nations competition or a little, I thought, I think there was a view that they were really coming good at that point, but it looks like they might be peaking kind of around about now or into this Six Nations campaign. So um, they look really, really impressive. But I don't know what you thought of that game. I'm not sure if Ian saw it, but yeah, I was that was a magical game of rugby, wasn't it? Like if you look at what they have now, you know, their pack has similar, if not better athletes than what we have. Um you know, like your man. They're so big, seven, man. So. Do you not think they're they're huge men? Like, they're huge as well as being quite mobile. Yeah. Like your man Demba Bamba, who came off the bench. Like he's just a, a freak of an athlete. Um, mm. and then on top of that, I think they've probably got the best halfback pairing in in world rugby now. And like their age profile of, I think it's what twenty five and twenty three. It's it's pretty much optimal. Um, and but they're 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 twenty five and twenty three year olds that have played a lot of top level rugby. They've mm. won competitions. They play in their club together like this. Um, and what was interesting I found about France was they tried this the second ball player, you know, Entmac and uh, Jalibert at uh, at ten, Entmac at twelve. They didn't really felt like it clicked. And you know, at international level, you, you know the importance, Luca. You know better than anyone of of getting over the, the gain line. And you know, it, it it can be good in principle, and we've seen it work well with Gitto when he was playing in Australia, but. It didn't really work for France, and then they went back to their tried and tested what what worked well for them in the Six Nations, and um, they actually outpowered New Zealand really. Yeah, they're missing one or two players as well, like Vakatawa back into the backline potentially at some stage as well. And it's funny, like I remember last time you were on, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was maybe before the Six Nations, just before COVID kind of started, and you did kind of mention France as a team you did think were. You know, in the ascendancy, I know they hadn't had a great World Cup, but there, as you mentioned, some of those young guys, Dupont and Mac, looked like they were coming into their own. And it, like, obviously, it was kind of like a dress rehearsal for that World Cup game in a few years' time. Like, the, the home factor as well is huge for them. Like, the Stade de France was rocking again for the first time since before COVID. It really does add something to them. They even got the Icelandic clap out at the end. <laughs> it was. It looked awesome, didn't it? It was great. Yeah. Oh, like when the, the the French, they're so passionate. Like and. Like they can turn on you and they, and they can be quite nasty. And we've seen that over the years. But when they get behind the team, it's incredibly powerful. And they certainly are, you know, and there's this crazy amount of excitement about them having the World Cup and and the excitement around the team. And they're just building nicely. I think they they should probably be favourites, I'd say, for this, this year's Six Nations. I haven't looked at who they've got at home, which, you know, does... They've Ireland and England at home, so... Okay, well, that then, that's what you want, really, isn't it? Like, they're probably the two... The two other best sides in, in, you know, I think there definitely is a split in this year's Six Nations. You know, you'd look at France, England, and Ireland, and then you'd probably look at Wales, who, while they beat Wales, sorry, well, they beat Australia and Fiji, um, they kind of stumbled over the line, and the red cards had big impacts on those on those games. You know, if you take them out of it, are they winning those two games? Maybe not. Um, and their style of rugby wouldn't have been overly endearing that you can kind of go, oh, they they can really build on that now going into the Six Nations in the same way that France and Ireland played. Um, and you could go, right, there's real excitement now behind those two teams. Yeah, yeah, Luke, like for you after November, who, who's the best team in the world right now? Um, I still think South Africa probably for me uh, are the best team in the world right now. If you were if you're playing a World Cup in a neutral venue, all that kind of stuff, uh, all things being equal, I still think they're the hardest team to beat in that respect because um, I think they know themselves. They have a way of playing. Um, not to digress too far, but Manchester United are all in. They're in the news at the moment, right? But it's, they ha- they can't pick a way to play. My, I don't know if you guys heard Michael Owen talking about it, right? But he made a really good point and about, about you have to have a way of playing can't just have loads of great players um, and I think South Africa have a way of playing and they have lots of great players when they're when the squad's all together and they don't try and be anything else and they're bloody hard to beat like I mean um, I, they're, they're probably the best for me followed very closely by, by France and Ireland currently I think um, I'm not sure that'll be the composition of that um, you know, in terms of the, the the hierarchy when it comes to World Cup time, I think France might be very close. I think New Zealand will improve massively. They're hurting badly after this one. Um, 
and I think they'll they'll, they'll have to go away and figure out a few things. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably the, the 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 hierarchy for me at the moment. South Africa, France, probably Ireland at the moment. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's great to see. Like I think, and I think all those teams would, would it'd be a great game between those teams. Um, but um, yeah, like. I'm not even sure I'm right on that. France looks so impressive against New Zealand and powerful too. Um, I would love to see that match against South Africa, to be honest. But um, difficult question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think, Ian? Who, who you think looks really, really strong at the moment? Yeah, I, I'd be similar. I actually thought about it before coming on. I thought you might ask, and I'd still go with South Africa as number one. You know, off the back of winning the the, the Lions series, um, they ran England close. It's, it's tough playing away from home in that kind of format, but. You're dead right. Their style of play, they're all very comfortable playing, you know, in that game plan. Um, and when they get it right, they're a very, very tough side to beat. And ultimately, like, that's a good recipe for winning competitions. Um, and then, yeah, look, France on their day are definitely the side that can beat anyone at the moment. And we're probably not far behind them. But um, it's just crazy that we're having this conversation. And, and England are probably a maybe, or sorry, New Zealand are probably a maybe for fourth ahead of them you know <laughs> slash we're getting completely carried away ourselves but yeah yeah well, slash is quite enjoyable because you know everyone's had their their guts being number one for so long <laughs> um, it is so, so Luca, you know what where i don't like base that on will if you just look at the the, the profile um so i look you, you know if you look at their second row pairing like so strong half back pairing you know so strong you look at their center pairing which means defensively they'll generally be very strong uh, they have some game winners there as well. Like if things aren't going well uh, and they're kind of, you know, they haven't got much of the game. You got Colby, you look at like Am, those kind of guys. They just have, I feel like they're a team that can kind of beat you. They, they play one way, but they don't have to play well, even in that way to beat you, if you know what I mean. Um, because they have those kind of star caliber players. You're the clerks and these guys who are, you know, they can turn a game. So um, that's what, yeah, I just, I think they're, they're, they look really good still and they'll be a, very hard team to uh, to beat uh, at the World Cup, I think. Just to go back to Ireland for a second, Ian, you know, as we look ahead to, towards you know Six Nations and, and and like from your perspective, what would be the the kind of building blocks to put on top of what they did in November? Like it was such an impressive month, three great wins. But if you're looking towards the next time they play, I think it's Wales at home. Is there anything in addition to what they've done in November that you'd like to see or anything, any kind of growth areas that could take them even further, maybe winning the Six Nations? I, I think we definitely tried to come away from the box kicking game, which, you know, gets criticised heavily, but, it, it, you know, is still very successful for the top teams. Um, look, the, the challenge for us is, is going to be France away. If you're looking for building blocks, you know, that's a, a big mountain to climb. And then, it's one thing beating New Zealand at home, but the, the, the true test will be coming up against them this summer. I think we've, you know, th- is it three tests against them in, in New Zealand, beating them at home when we've already kind of scarred them. Um, that's going to be really challenging and, and backing up three really, really tough games at the end of what's going to be a, a, a very long season again. Um, but no, look, I think our game is in a good spot. It's just about, keeping our, our players fresh and, and, and going into that Six Nations with, you know, the momentum that we've built from the last three games. Yeah, I'd be interested to get your, your opinion on this. Obviously, like, the, the, the guys who were in camp, you know, the Andy Farrell pretty much picked the same team for the most part across the three games. So there was a lot of guys there who didn't play any rugby. There's a lot of guys in the provinces who haven't played any rugby for five weeks now as well. You know, and now it's coming into a really intense block of games. Like, what was that like for players, you know, kind of, not being able to see action over the last while, like does that really take you out of the the mojo you might have been in? Do you think? Yeah, well, we've had you know the first five games of, of the league for you know the majority of provincial players, and then we've had a break of a month. You know, Ulster decided to train for the first three weeks and then take a week off. Leinster took a week off initially and 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 trained for three weeks after. I'm not too sure what the other the other provinces did. Um, but you know the the first the start of the season is always quite intense, and while it was only five league games, guys I'm sure were pretty happy for the break. And I think the the start of the season there is just kind of setting you up for that middle block, which is the, the next ten games we have in a row now, which consists for us anyway of I think it's four interpros, four European games, and then two you know standard uh, URC games, and ultimately that's going to 
either give you an opportunity to compete for trophies, you know, at the tail end of the Six Nations, um, leading into obviously the end of the season, or you're going to be scrambling. You know, you'll be out of Europe and then scrambling for top eight in the URC. So this is the the kind of real crunch time and, and make or break for the, I think the, the the four Irish provinces. So it's it's the most exciting time for me, you know, that leading into Europe is obviously the the pinnacle of the season. And then, you know, the interpros over Christmas are always a, they're always very special games to be part of and you know, seeing what what province can come out on top over the you know those various different interpros. Yeah, Lucas, it's an interesting time for like the guys in the Ireland camp who, who didn't see any action. A lot of big names there that would have probably like someone like Jordan Lammer, who would have been Simon Zebo, another guy like that. Guys who would have been, you know, had their eye on definitely playing against Argentina potentially after the All Blacks game. You know, it does set things up nicely for those players to go back to the provinces and they'll be they'll be gunning for you know making a big impression and trying to force Andy Farrell's hand. Yeah, and look, I, I really liked that he was very clear about that. You know, um, you know, I think he's becoming. I think do you know what? It's great to see him get a few results because I feel like he can be very honest now that he's got all the backing and things are, are starting to turn for him. Um, and he was good. Like he put up the challenge to those guys. So I mean, you know, maybe they don't read a newspaper, but I'm sure he's had those conversations with them face to face. And yeah, look, I think it will be good to see those guys and see what kind of reaction they do get in what is, as Ian said, a very competitive fixture list now coming up before Six Nations. Um, and they'll have lots of opportunities probably to play against the guy that is in that green jersey ahead of them, um, which I always find really intriguing. I think supporters love that. Now, my, my big hope is that there's none of this messing around about bringing second teams down for, you know, the, the interpros when you're away and all that kind of crap. I, I really hope that that doesn't happen. I hope they pick their strongest teams. Um because I think the supporters deserve that. I think the competition needs that. And I think, um, you know, for Irish jerseys at the moment, those players will want to play those games. And if you're away from home, there's nothing better than the coach's mind, I think. Well, it's certainly if I was a coach, I think I'd be looking at not always how you play in your home um, in your home stadium, but how you play down at Home Park, in an RDS, you know, in a Kingspan, wherever you are, um, you know, how you get on in those places when things aren't going well, when you're not getting the cheers, when you're, you know, you make a mistake and everyone's kind of on your back from the home crowd. Um, and that's a place where you can turn a coach's mind around um, and kind of tough it out and get a result with the team or, and, and have a big performance. So, yeah, I think it is a busy period. And there is loads of guys who I think will, will be hurting from that little, little period. Um, and um I think Andy Farrell expect a, a, a reaction. If they don't get one, I don't think they're going to, he's going to pick them. I think what's been great about this window for me is that it looked like he, like he left Tyke Byrne out of, out of the starting lineup. Like that to me, like I, I couldn't believe that happened. So like, you know, he's not afraid to make those big calls. Like, like that's a lion that he's leaving out um, out of that Irish pack. Like it's not often an Irish team can do that. And it's true. He's sorry. He's just off a lion's tour. It's not like it's four or five years ago, you know? So he, he's willing to make those tough decisions, which is great. You know, I think that's important for, for the team. So, um, yeah, no, it's a busy period, exciting period, though. Yeah, in just, on Andy Farrell, what did you make of the way he did select during November, you know, going with kind of his strongest team pretty much for Japan, only making one change for New Zealand, and then before the late withdrawals was going to go with the same team again. You know, you, ordinarily in November, you would see at least one of the games wholesale changes some of the younger players coming in I know like Robert Balakoon came in yeah. as one of the younger guys but by and large he went with his top players throughout the three matches we, we, like, what do you make of that tactic I yeah, think I thought, that you know it's yeah. I think on that one sorry uh, I think on that uh, I, you know I mentioned it the last I thought it was one of Josh when Josh Smith came into Leinster originally one of the best things he used to do and Ian will probably con- sorry the reason I jumped in in front of you there Ian is just because I think you might have a view on this one too mm. particularly as you were one of the younger guys at that stage, what he did really well was he kind of introduced four or five guys or maybe three or four guys of the younger cohort into a more experienced team. And what it does, is it gives you great confidence because you're playing with, you know, a bit of a settled outfit, particularly in the pack. Um, uh, you know, those halfbacks. I mean, if there was big change in the pack, you know, there's there's people coming in out of nowhere. You know, the line not firing. The scrum isn't firing. You know, people aren't in good positions outside the halfbacks because they're not used to playing at that tempo or they're not used to playing with those people. It makes it really difficult for people to come in and impress. Um, so I thought he did that really well and ended up not doing that well at the end of his tenure. But I thought Andy Farrell, on the other hand, did that really well. And, and the side had a really settled feel. And we still got to see some of those younger guys come in 
to a team that was playing well and confidently and actually get to express themselves a little bit. Like we saw lots of positive things, I think, in that Argentina match, um, which we might go into a bit more detail in a second. But, but I don't know, do you think that's a good what kind of way to go about it versus, say, wholesale changes, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think for, like, let's say, the likes of Rob Balakoon or Tom O'Toole who came off the bench or Nick Timney, it was just a real fit-in focus for them. They didn't have to worry about what other players are doing as opposed to there being... 15 changes in the team and you know you're, you haven't quite built the relationships and you're unsure of let's say what's going on in the line out or what's going on with patterns of play these guys who came in for the Argentina game just had to do their own job well the system was working the team was purring they just had to fit in and literally do their own job not worry about anything else and they did that very well and and um like back to the point of was a surprise of the team's that he picked, I think it was very important for the Japan game that he picked a team that was going to play against New Zealand to build that momentum. And it worked because they came out of that Japanese game and they had real confidence in the way that they were playing. And there definitely would have been a feeling in camp, right, we don't need to reinvent the wheel now for New Zealand. We just need to basically replicate what we've done in that game, do it maybe at a slightly higher intensity make sure we're getting the right numbers to our breakdown, tweak one or two bits, a really good training week. And then they just went in and, and, and repeated it against New Zealand and, and really blew them away. Uh, and Ian, one point I'd like to get your opinion on, and it kind of goes to what Luke was saying, is that, you know, Joey Carberry came in to start and he was behind the pack that, well, sorry, he was originally meant to be behind the pack that beat New Zealand, but obviously the late changes. But, uh, you know, what, what did you make of his performance? Obviously, he's you know, had his injury battles. He was talking in the build-up to that game about how he's maybe struggled to get back to his best after that, such a lengthy period away. Like, how, how do you think he's he's been playing or reintegrating into that, you know, that kind of starting role? Yeah, like, you know, it's been well documented at taking Joey a bit of time to come back from what seemed like quite a nasty injury or, you know, foot or ankle injury. Um, but look, it was I'm a big fan of Joey. I love the way he plays the game. And it, he really... It, don't know if he was at 100% of his very best, but he was certainly very close to it. And I thought it was a really complete performance from him. Um, one thing that really impressed me was, you know, defensively, he put in a couple of really big hits. He's not the biggest of guys, but he got his body height right, got his legs through the tackle really well. Um, he's a lovely passer of the ball. And as the game went on, his confidence was growing. And like we saw him, you know, make a couple of great breaks. And um, even how he slotted in at 15, he just, he looked... He looked the part back there. Um, and look, he, he, he did a good job as well. Like against the Argies, you, you, you know, you got to be careful. You don't end up in a complete arm wrestle against them because they have a big pack. And I thought he chose his times to keep the ball in front of the Irish team. Um, he chose those times really wisely and put in a few really clever kicks just to keep the momentum going. And then ultimately then we really broke them down and then the floodgates opened really then in the end. And Luke, he moved to full back in the second half. Uh, made some nice breaks. I know you're waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, he played his best rugby of the match from there. No surprise. Um, but even at 10, I thought he was very, no, no, he, he had a very good performance and I was delighted for him. Um, you know, I still think um, he's a lovely passer of the ball, but there's a, it's just a difference. I'm not sure he can serve space as well. I just know from playing in the centre outside different people throughout my career. Um, I think, like, I just think there's a difference between how he can serve space, particularly just as he's passing the ball. Um, I'm not going to get too into the technical bit of what I mean on that one, but that, I just have a bit of an issue on that one. And I'm not sure he controls the game, um, you know, as well as I probably like. Now, that's very difficult coming into a team at 10, but he, look, my sense is that he's still a fullback. I was, I was interested to hear, I wasn't the only one who thought that um, you know, a lot of the discourse after the game and just when he kind of came in was, was around that too. But it's becoming more mainstream now, you're, you're not on, out in the fringe anymore No, I just I just think he's, no, he's excellent there, you know, the problem for him now is that Hugo Keenan looks as solid in that team as Johnny Sexton looks in that team so uh, it's a bit of a conundrum nice to be able to play both of them um, I'll tell you who I was bloody impressed with, um, moving on from Joey Carby, who I, I will say just to finish on that, he, he, he had a brilliant game and his kicking looked very good off the deck as well. Um, but uh, Harry Byrne, his ball handling, he, his passing was so snappy. I tell you, uh, like he looks, I wasn't as, maybe it's because he's been injured here and there, but uh, maybe I haven't seen him at a high enough level. He looked really sharp. I'm actually more convinced now that he 
I thought Frawley might be the answer there long term, but I don't know. He looked really, really good to me on the weekend. Uh, like, look, there was some messy stuff too, but you'd expect that from a kid. Um, but wow, he looks like a magic player. I, I'm really excited to see more of him. I just hope he gets some rugby with his brother and Johnny and Frawley there in Leinster. But he was brilliant as well. So look, I, I suppose one of the, the, the things I took from him was that not just an individuals in that 10 slot, um, but that there certainly is, uh, you know, the depth chart is, is deeper. Um, off the back of uh, the, the November internationals um, uh, at that 10 slot, which is very, very important. I know that's an area of concern for, for everyone, really, in Irish rugby, particularly if we're going into a World Cup and we need someone to last. Like, it's very hard to ask Johnny Sexton to last maybe seven or eight, get whatever it is, seven games, um, you know, in, in that competition. Like, that's a big ask for any player. So you do need to have someone else there. And I think we look like we're in good shape there. Notwithstanding our, 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 our man on the line here, um, <laughs> but there is, there looks like there is depth in that position. Yeah, you know, just in your own, I suppose, situation at the moment. You know, obviously moving back to Ulster. You know, after this COVID, as rugby was coming back from COVID, like, uh, you know, I, I, have you been a bit disappointed, maybe, that you haven't been able to, you know, get back into the Ireland squad or, or you know, nail down a, a starting pace with Ulster? Uh, has it been a bit of a disappointment from that perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Like the. Parts of last season I was I was happy with and I felt like I was kind of building my performances. Um, it was certainly a massive frustration with the um, the league last year. I think I played, I don't know, maybe 10 or so of the games and, and then they decided to cut it short. We'd obviously been beaten by Leinster twice, but for just to go to a final there was was um, was very frustrating to not be able to play playoffs again, having you know, played in, in the playoffs at the tail end of the, the kind of COVID season as, as it's known now. Um, but yeah, look, there was, there was times I definitely felt like my game was building as the season was going on. And then we got to the semi-final of the European competition, the Challenge Cup, and I was left out for that, which was, you know, very disappointing um, off the back of what I thought was, was still a, a pretty good season. To miss out on, on those, uh, on that knockout game was, was pretty gut-wrenching. Um, and then I suppose like for the, the Rainbow Cup was, you know, it was a bit of a non-event of a competition. I didn't play a whole lot in that until the Edinburgh game at the end. And while that was a dead rubber, it was still a, a, a great opportunity for me to get a start um, in a competitive game. And, you know, I felt like that went went well and I played well. Um, which did kind of round off the season. When you end on a, a positive note like that, you kind of go into the summer energised and, you know, you, you're happy to do a bit of training during your holidays and you're real hungry to get back in for pre-season and, and give it a real crack to to get that first, um, that get that starting spot, which is ultimately why I'm here. Um, and I thought I put together a great pre-season, you know, in, in, in good shape as... Luke, you would know I always enjoy <laughs> lifting weights and running, and that it's actually part of the season. I, I relish. I know it's not it's not every player's cup of tea, but I enjoy getting stuck into it. Um, and then I got all up, that nap time as well, man. Yeah, exactly. No yeah. one sleeps like Ian Madigan. He gets his, his, his recovery sleeps. I tell you, I ruined him all the way through. You know, lots of training camps in a way. Do not interrupt that man's sleeps, but. I will give you credit yourself and Jamie Heaslip are probably two of the best trainers I've, I've come across actually so I'm not surprised to hear you saying that you relish it yeah very unlucky to get that at that time we I think we spoke maybe just before that I think you were you were felt like you were in a really good place so yeah sorry to interrupt you but yeah, yeah so yeah I, I play we played Saris uh twice in our kind of pre or you know pre-season games I was happy with how I played in the first one you know one of those standard pre-season games you're, you're not perfect but you feel like you're you know, getting ready to play games, and then I, I tore my adductor, which has, which kept me out for the the first two games of of that five game block, and then I just wasn't able to get back into the team um, for the remaining three games. So, look, we're going into a, a very busy ten game block now, and you know, I think Ulster are going to rely on hopefully their whole squad. And um, <laughs> I feel like Barn, are you listening? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, yeah. Remember me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, on a serious note, look, it looks like there's actually quite a nice uh, kind of halfback grouping there, if you like, Ian, with, uh, you know, John Cooney, obviously, uh, Doak there at nine, young fellow who looks very, very, you know, there's lots of positive talk about him. He looks certain to be a future international. Uh, and obviously yourself and Billy then as well. You're like, 
sitting in a good position. Obviously, Dwayne Vermeulen to come in as well. Um, I don't know if as he as he showed his face in camp yet, but like there must be lots of positive kind of feelings up there at the moment about this little block and and maybe what you guys can achieve in this. Yeah, look, you know, across the board there is quality there. Like you know, you mentioned the halfbacks there. Obviously, Doki stepped up and and he he really does look the real deal. I think he's only maybe nineteen or twenty, but he's definitely got the mindset of 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 you know, a seasoned pro, he's not a guy that gets flustered. He directs the pack around really well. His core skills are are really, really good. You know, he's a fantastic passer of the ball. He kicks the ball a mile. And he's really good off the tee as well. Um, so, look, he just needs to keep building on, on what he's done. And as you said, he's in great company with John there. And he'll learn a lot off him. Um, James Hume and Stu McCluskey in the centre are a really strong centre partnership. And... Um, you know, if he can get good quality ball to the likes of Rob Balakun, like we we've seen kind of glimpses of what he can do when he gets the ball in space. Um, he's got serious top end speed. He's a real agile player, and he's very good in the air. And there's other quality there, like we've Jacob to come back, Ethan McElroy, and um, yeah. So look, it's if we can get the right platform and someone like you know Vermeulen coming in is going to be huge for that. Like we saw Marcel do it for Ulster over the last few years. You know, when you're running into a wall and you need to generate quick ball or get back to the gain line, there's nothing better than a big get set a bigger of wall. For it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, look, he he he's he's been a great he's he's a great signing, and we're really excited now. I think he's going to play the Barbarians game this week, and then hopefully be be ready to go for us either next week or into the European games. Um, and look, there's there's really exciting young guys coming through in the pack. Like we saw what Tom O'Toole did mm. at the weekend. Bradley Roberts getting capped for for Wales. Um, you know he's a really exciting young guy. Obviously Rob Herring there. Like there's there's enough quality across the board and some key guys coming back from injury, the likes of Jordy Murphy and, and Jack McGrath. So um, yeah, look, it's it, it's definitely a very exciting exciting time to be at the club. And from your own perspective, you know, as you mentioned, the last couple of weeks where before the the break, you know, not getting into the team, like, do, what what's your process? Uh, you know, during that period, do you try to train harder. Do you have like conversations with the coach, try to get a feel for what you need to do? Like, is, is it how difficult is it to to kind of you know keep a focus and you know keep kind of trying your best when you're not getting into the team like that? Yeah, it is tough. Like you want to have those co- those conversations with the coaches and and find out. Look, why am I getting picked? And I, ideally, they they want to give you a few nuggets that you can kind of go right. Well, I'll work on that, and I'll try and show you that I'm doing that in training. Um, and then you know, eventually the, the penny drops and and they start selecting you. Um, the the one of the positives out of it is you know the team's generally announced in house on a Monday, and if you're not involved in the twenty three it does give you an opportunity to to push the conditioning side of things, both weights and, and, and running and opportunity to work on your skills a bit more. Um, and, you know, I've taken that. It's been a longer period of conditioning than I'd have liked. But, you know, over the last two months, I've, I feel like I've got myself in, in great physical shape to be able to go into this kind of 10 game block and, and um, you know, be really fresh for it. And when you made the decision to come back to Ireland, you know, initially, obviously, you were away in Bordeaux and then, and then Bristol. Like, well, like what, what was the, kind of the, thing, the thought process there? Was it to get back in the Ireland team? Did you kind of miss kind of playing and living in Ireland? Like, what, what, was, what were the kind of considerations that, you, that went into that? Yeah, like the, still the number one goal is to, is to get back into the Irish squad. Now, I'm currently a million miles off that. But um, the way the game has gone now, if you can string together three or four big performances in both Europe or interprovincial games, then suddenly you're back into the mix and, and, and in, in the conversation, you know? So for me, it's just about, you know, trying to break into, into that Ulster squad again and, and, you know, get that starting spot and, and, um, you know, build the momentum. It's got to be just one game at a time and just got to be patient really. So, but, um, no, look, that was, that was the reason for coming back. And, um, look, I know I'm, probably running out of time a bit, but that's still the, that's still what motivates me. And, you know, the, the big thing for me is I'm still really enjoying it. And um, working with some of those younger guys in, in, in the Ulster squad is, is very satisfying. So that's probably keep me going at the moment. Do you at all regret leaving in the first place? Cause you know, you, you were probably the second choice at the time at Ireland. Like do, do, do you, I know you had a lot of experiences in different clubs and stuff, but is there any part of you wish you, you had stayed in Ireland? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you always, 
you always think the grass is greener, but um, ultimately I was I was very happy with with the decision I made. I you know consulted the key people um, who I was close to um, and and still close to, um, and made my decision. So like once you, you start letting those kind of negative thoughts of going, maybe I should have stayed creep in. I just reassure myself with that and, and go, well, look, ultimately it was the decision that I made. I wasn't forced to make it. I made it myself and, and I was happy to live by it. And um, as you touched on there, I've had great experiences in, in, in different ways, but I've also without doubt missed out on, um, you know, opportunities here, but um, look, I'm still happy with, with, with my lot as such. Well, you had to go. Sorry, you had to go. We like it was either that or you're always going to be number two. Like unless you were you shot the lights out in training. I, I think it was. I, I wouldn't even think that you'd be should regret should should be thinking you regret that. I thought that was a, a brave move to make. Yeah, mm. might have missed out in a couple of Irish caps, but you probably would have been on the bench or picking up the kind of Japanese games or those things. You you wanted to be a frontliner. You had the ability to do it. You still have the ability to do it. I wouldn't be. Sorry, this is not a pep talk here. This feels like a pep no, talk. No, but no, no, I think it was the yeah. right move, man. Seriously, I think yeah, you had to no, like, look, you're and, right. and yeah. be, be frontline somewhere. Otherwise, you can never, you were never going to get the starting birth away from Johnny. It was just too, going to be too hard to do that with two little opportunities. Um, like, remember, like, the thing about, I always think about these, these kind of decisions, Will, is if you're in that kind of position, and there's lots of people in Irish rugby at the moment in those provinces who, you know, look very, very good, but they won't get like 10 games or five, five or six of the big games in a row to show their wares. They'll get one if someone gets injured. Otherwise, they're playing all the URC games. And there's lots of people that are sitting there who are going to waste their career doing that. They're, like, I would always be aiming to be making decisions that, you know, allow you to start on the on the team. Like, no one goes on to be, like, I ended up on the on, on the bench for those things. But like, yeah, it's great to be utility back and on the bench. But who wants to be on the bench? Like, uh, you want to be starting and you have to make decisions that, you know, strength in your hand to allow you to do that. So I, I think, yeah, you look back on those things, you say, of course, you probably missed out on a few things, but you would have been on the bench and lost the big games. Like, yeah. you're not, a, you're not, no one goes to be aiming to be a bench guy. No, you know? I, and if I, 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 I will really... pull you up on one thing. Yeah. There's no way you're a million miles away. There's only four positions, there's only four, 10 starting positions in the country. Mm. And they're only going to pick from those four positions. They've been very clear about that despite COVID and, and all the financial difficulties. So, if you start for Ulster, you're not going to be a million miles away. You're going Correct. to be very bloody yeah. close. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. But, you know, I, I haven't done that. I, I am. No. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm under no illusions. It's exactly that. You, you, you get one of those four starting spots, you're close. And you start playing well, you're closer again. You know, I, I agree with you. And look, on, on the point of, of moving away, like, I agree with you, Luke. And the big reason why I left, like, as my career was progressing, you're happy you, you know, to be on the bench for, for, for Ireland or, or for Leinster for certain games. But as long as you feel like your career is, is, is progressing and you're starting more games each season, ultimately when Johnny returned from, from being away that season before I left, it was the first year that I'd had in whatever, a seven or eight year career where I felt like I was regressing. And that made the decision to leave much easier, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's one of the things I look back on and go, well, look, that's why you did it. So don't don't be regretting anything, really. I suppose. Yeah, and with less games in the league this year, like it is interesting that, like you know, as you said, Luke, you know, the opportunities for players, you know, ordinarily during November there, there would have been like three matches potentially for players to play, even less. So it's even more of a balancing act for coaches, but also for players, even less for opportunities for younger players to break in or or for fringe guys to impress, like. There's a whole host of there was twelve Leinster guys playing against the All Blacks. They're all coming back now, and they probably won't play against Ulster, but they'll be back in the team probably sooner than later. So there's a lot of guys who won't get to play with rugby. I tell you what, it'll be interesting to see. Will there might be whoever you know, center was twelve in the you know in the starting team. Will, will all twelve of those guys be starting in the Leinster team? That's that's that'll be a question that'll be worth having, having a really close look at. They might not. Do you know what I mean? That that's the kind of like that's a situation that some people will find themselves in that's very very difficult um, because there's so much quality and so much strength and depth in Leinster like Leinster's the, the prime example of that where you could you might have the ability but we might never know it we might never see it because you might be sitting behind someone hoping that you pick up games and that you're as Ian said like, you know it is difficult to find the perfect time to go ahead and do that where you say I'm look I'm still improving I'm in a great setup you know I'm playing with top class players every day but you know, am I, am I, do I, at what stage do you say, well, actually, I need to be playing or I need to play every week? You know, I need to sacrifice playing in, you know, what has been the most consistent or best team for the last couple of years to go somewhere else to maybe a team that hasn't been in that position 
Um, but at least I get to start every week. Uh, th- th- there's lots of guys who are in that that situation where they'll end up sitting on the bench uh, for for long periods, and I, I think it's a mistake to do that personally. And not, and I love seeing Leinster being strong, and, and like I am a Leinster supporter as much as I try and be you no know, not biased. Um, but I, you know, for the welfare of those players, I, I don't know how they sit there every week and and and. No, listen to the coach saying, look, you're playing great, you're doing all the right things, but sorry, you're not starting. I wouldn't be able to do yeah. that myself. No, it, it's a great point you make, Will, on the, you know, the, the structure of the URC this year and, and for fringe players as such, it's it's much tougher because the internationals, the international windows would usually have been the times that you could have got your games and you play well in those and then when the internationals come back, you could potentially hold on to your spot and we've seen that happen you know, over the last few years, if you're not getting those opportunities and you're just trying to impress in training and guys are coming back from, from internationals, the credit of that is going to be enough for them to come back and take their spots. Um, and it is definitely going to be more of a challenge this year for the coaches, keeping the wider squad happier because there's less games and the internationals are available throughout the season. So it is. It is definitely one of the the challenges challenges of of having a shorter league season. And you'd want to be a pretty silky smooth salesman to be able to tell someone, "Oh, don't worry, that A fixture is very very important, and we'll be keeping that in mind. And don't worry, you play well there. You know, you've got a really good chance of getting in the team. You know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's a bit of a Pinocchio moment to to to, to my mind. That A fixture against Rotherham Titans is a real key one on the schedule. <laughs> what I feel terrible. Kind Not of respect to Rotherham Titans. I tell you, if you're buying that stuff um, from from a coach, um, you've got bigger problems than not getting selected. Hmm. Well, just before we wrap up, Ian, obviously, a, you know, big game this weekend to, to to return to club action, Ulster Leinster. Uh, you know, obviously, a game close to your heart, I'm sure. Uh, it's it's an interesting one to 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 kind of restart the club club action. Yeah, certainly. It's a, you know, it's a very important game for us. Obviously, coming off the back of, of what was a disappointing performance against Connacht, you know, in fairness to Connacht, they they put on a fantastic performance against us, and and ultimately were unlucky to to lose to Munster the previous week. Um, I think Leinster are probably still the the standard bearers in, in Ireland, and you know, we saw their top players perform incredibly well over the last three weeks. So, look, it's going to be a great challenge for us, and um, going down to the ODS and and seeing where we stand going into this big block of games. So, look, it's it, it's an exciting time, and I'm sure the supporters out there are looking forward to seeing the Interpros kick off again. Yeah, it's set up to be a really exciting couple of weeks of club action just off the back of a brilliant month of international fair. But for the moment, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Best luck for the rest of the season. Thanks a million, guys. Always a pleasure coming on. That's all we have time for this week on the left wing. We will be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.